Hello, Patriots. It's Saturday, November 7th, 2020, and you are listening to a special Saturday edition of Living with Liberty. I am Ryan, your host. Today we'll be going through more reasons why the numbers do not make sense in this year's presidential race. The infighting is already beginning within the House Democrats caucus and the glitches that we have seen in voting equipment. Now, before jumping into the show, I want to note uh, today that the hacktivist media has projected the presidential race for Biden. This predictably has drawn the left out of their dystopic safe spaces and into celebration. What their celebrations, and truthfully, some of the posts I am seeing from conservative supporters, is a fundamental lack of understanding of how elections and our government actually work. The networks can call whatever they want. Doesn't make it true. I can call myself a millionaire. Doesn't mean I am without some sort of certification. That's what we have here. The results are not certified. There are many recounts yet to be completed, lawsuits yet to be heard, and only states can certify elections. Given how close this election has been and is, I would hold off on the celebrations. Now true, the network's calling it does make it harder in the courts to overcome the perception of a Biden win. Trump has been right on everything thus far in rooting out corruption. His campaign was spied on. He was right. Russia collusion was a hoax. The Mueller report came up empty. Remember, Trump is a businessman. His company is a privately owned company, which tend to take the long view of things in terms of strategy. Trump plays the long game. There are already things starting to trickle out. Rudy Giuliani held a presser in Philadelphia this morning with witnesses in Philadelphia testifying they were not allowed to properly observe absentee counts from a proper distance, which, by the way, was in violation of a court order that called for them to be within six feet to observe. The poll workers were allowed to move in, but those doing the counts then moved six feet or more away, according to their testimony. If you have nothing to hide, there should be no problem with the poll watchers being there, correct? Giuliani also stated that the story was the same in Pittsburgh. Now, the total amount of ballots impacted is 700,000. Just about the exact number of votes Trump was up in Pennsylvania after Tuesday. This seems to be a clear irregularity in the vote counts. It was statistically impossible to close that gap without getting close to 100% of those votes especially considering they've now called Pennsylvania with Biden up only 34,000 votes. Election irregularities abound here. This is a good segue into the topic I had originally scoped out for this show. It will be data heavy, but hopefully further illustrate why we should be suspicious and question the results. In taking a look at the votes cast in the presidential election as a percentage of the total population over the past 100 years, the biggest thing that sticks out is the shift that occurred from the 2000 election to the 2004 election. From 1920 to the 2000 election, votes cast as a percent of total population held at an average of 36%. Sure, there were peaks uh, hitting 38 and 39 percent 
a couple times in that time frame. But for the majority of elections over that time span, presidential elections, votes cast as a percent of population held steady between 33 and 37 percent. Also in this time, the voting age was lowered from uh, to 18 from 21. This happened in 1970, and even lowering the voting age wasn't enough to move the needle significantly. Post-lowering the voting age, votes cast as a percent of population was still 36% on average. The time period is inclusive of the beginning of women uh, having the right to vote, and between 1920 and 1936, we did see the votes cast as a percentage of population increase from uh, by 10%. They went from 25% in 1920 to about 35% in 1936. Granted, now women as an age group uh, of voters is a bigger number than 18 to 20-year-olds. However, one would have expected a slight shift and a slight sustained shift at that upward in the voting numbers once the age um, was lowered. Then in 2004, something interesting happened. Much like this year, we had a divisive incumbent president that Democrats were eager to get out of office. In 2004, we saw the votes cast as a percent of population jump 5% from that long-term average of 36%. What makes this interesting is Bush actually lost a large part of his base from 2,000 rural voters. There was, however, a large increase in Christian voters, about 90%. Now, was this enough to move turnout upward 5% from the long-term average? Tough to say uh, it had any contributing factor considering rural voters dropped by 2.5 million. A big gap to make up for sure, even with a 90% a increase in Christian voters. Like this year, 2004 saw a bit of a demographic shift, with Latinos swinging more for Bush by a 12% swing, going from a 60-40 typical split to a 54-46 split. From that, uh, or also we saw about a percent and a half increase in actual Latino turnout. Again, an upswing, but to me, not enough combined with the Christian uh, voters to add enough, uh, add up to a 5% increase over the long-term averages. Also in 2004, there were more voters in small urban areas that turned out, but that was only to the tune of a 9% gain from 2000 hardly enough to drive votes coupled with the the other two um ins, uh two other instances i mentioned to drive that uh, votes cast as a percent of population up by 5%. There's one more point of data here to consider and that is the turnout in cities with half a million or more residents. This uh voting block increased by 66% was this enough to spur that upward trend of 5%? So taking the long-term average of 36% and moving it up to 41. Given the amount of voters that stayed home, this also makes it hard to believe that even this would be enough to swing votes cast as a percentage of population up by 5%. And even within this set of data, there are questions around that increase of 66% being accurate. The election 
uh, in 2004, The Urban Legend by Michael Collins outlines this. The turnout in America's 13 largest cities, which account for 60% of population living in cities, uh, over 500,000 people, only increased 13%. Meaning the rest of America's big cities, the other 40%, would have had to have an increase in turnout by over 100% to get to that 66% overall big city turnout. This further throws into doubt the shift up in votes cast as a percentage of population. Really hard to believe that we actually did move 5% up from the long-term average, uh, given this information. I will put a link to this article in the description box. Was 2004 just the start of what we are seeing with the alleged fraudulent votes being cast? Was 2004 the test run? I would have expected that after such a divisive election, votes cast as a percent of population would have trended back towards historical levels. Now, 2008, we did see hope and change Obama arrive on the scene. So we did see an increase again in votes cast as a percent of population, moving up by 1.5% from 41% to 42.5%. This I can attribute to a movement within the black community as they turned out in huge numbers to support Obama. In fact, turnout was up across the board, so I did not see any anomalies there. What we did see in the 2012 election was people hope and changed out. The votes cast dropped 3% from the previous general election, and votes cast as a percent of population dropped 2.5% down to 40% from 425 to 40%. Now this is starting to trend back towards that historical uh, norm of 36% that we had seen from 1920 to 2000. People had realized that hope and change was more like weak recovery and the same corrupt politics and stayed home in that election. 2016 actually stayed flat in terms of ballots cast as a percent of population. Uh, that was also about 40%. Now could this have been uh, due to the fact that Democrats and the lamestream media uh, were believing their own fake polls? Could it be not much excitement of the candidates or for the candidates? Perhaps. Clinton was favored by so much the machine may have decided it wasn't there wasn't a need for extra votes. As we know, Trump won and kicked off a four-year temper tantrum on the left that is culminating in what we see now. What I find fascinating is how media is expecting us to believe our eyes are lying to us. Obama had the high vote total, highest vote total ever in 2008 with 69.5 million. Biden has blown that away by 5 million votes. And even Trump is above that by almost a million. But in my opinion, it is warranted for Trump. Look at the campaign Beijing Biden ran. He stayed underground, calling a lid for weeks at a time. When he did emerge from his Ukrainian-founded bunker, he had more staffers and supporters filling out the hula hoops put down on the ground to social distance people at his rallies, and rallies in quotation marks. Now let's contrast that with Trump, who had thousands at his rallies. He could have filled stadiums with supporters. At that last one in Pennsylvania, I believe Butler, was somewhere in the neighborhood of 60,000 people. 
The one in Kenosha was 27,000 people. I take a look at the yard signs uh, around my area, and by my count, they were encroaching upon a three-to-one margin for Trump. How is it Biden has five million more votes than hope and change Obama? Someone in Biden whom Obama didn't endorse until he was forced to. Something's afoot here. Looking back again at the 700,000 vote lead Trump had and lost in Pennsylvania, which is a statistical impossibility if everything is on the up and up. Look at Wisconsin. That saw a 130,000 vote lead swing to a 20,000 vote deficit. How? My state senator put out a communication stating there was a 100,000 vote swing in Milwaukee. Okay, why were these ballots being delivered at 4 a.m.? Milwaukee isn't that big of a city. They should be able to go around after polls closed at 8 8 p.m., collect ballots, and have them to the counting facility within a couple hours. Why was Milwaukee County turnout 90% when the past two elections were 76% turnout in 2012 and 72, almost 73% in 2016. Daniel Payne in a, just the news article noted that there were some villages in Milwaukee County that routinely have an 80 to 90% turnout. Well, that's true. Those are small areas, small municipalities that we are talking about here. They have thousands of voters. Some have not even multiple thousands of voters. It's not like we're talking about tens or even hundreds of thousands of voters here with that kind of turnout. Now, to get the county-wide number to a 90% turnout, you would need to have the city of Milwaukee at that level as well. The city of Milwaukee accounts for 63% of the population of Milwaukee County. Now, in the past elections, Milwaukee was 66% in 2012 in terms of turnout, the city of Milwaukee. And it was 56% in 2016. So now you mean to tell me that 34% more people decided to vote in the city of Milwaukee this year. I don't buy it. Obama couldn't even turn that many out in the city of Milwaukee. China Joe certainly isn't going to do that from his bunker. The last piece I want to bring up on this topic is Georgia. Now, here I would call this plausible, but suspect. If we're looking at the Senate race, uh, Purdue, the Republican candidate there, has 2.45 million votes. Ossoff, the Democrat candidate, has 2.36 million. President Trump has 2.45 million votes as well. But Biden has 2.46 million, just barely edging ahead. A check of other Senate races around the country has uh, both the Senate and presidential uh, vote counts pretty close uh, and trending in the same direction. If it's a Democrat, it's, you know, Biden getting it. It's the Democrat Senate uh, candidate also leading by about, you know, about as much. North Carolina, as an example of this, uh, the race there has the outcome I would expect with Trump leading and Tillis uh, also leading in his uh, Senate uh, race by roughly the same margins. So while this seems plausible in Georgia, I would still put it in the unlikely uh, bucket here, given that Biden has edged ahead and now we're talking about a recount. 
Senate races are going to trend with what the presidential race is and vice versa. Now on to those pesky voting machines. I find it interesting that the first time we're hearing about glitches in these voting machines is in a historically red Michigan county in the Upper Peninsula that had been turned blue. I believe that it was this that brought the issue to light. If a deep red county doesn't have an issue, would we even know about this? Maybe, maybe not. That would depend on what the Trump campaign knows and what is in their body of evidence of alleged voter fraud. What this has has brought to light is this system by Dominion Voting Systems is also used in 69 Michigan counties, as well as Pennsylvania, Georgia, Wisconsin, Nevada, Minnesota, and Maricopa County, Arizona, all places we've been hearing about through this process of counting votes. Also of note is Dominion Voting Systems has ties to the Clintons and Nancy Pelosi. They donated somewhere between $25,000 and $50,000 to the Clinton Foundation, according to the Washington Post. This begs the question, why is any municipality using equipment that has ties, especially monetary ties, to government officials or ex-government officials? Where's the vetting process in all of this? How can we the people be expected to trust the process of our elections when there are ties back to the politicians for the equipment that we're using. This only makes it appear that the system is stacked against the people. These glitches aren't only limited to Dominion units. Another voting system, Hart InterCivic, had a glitch in Oakland County, Michigan. That switched over 1,200 Republican votes to Democrat. This glitch initially caused the county commissioner there to lose by 100 votes. The change resulted in him winning by 1,100 votes. Interesting that in both cases, glitches favored the Democrats. Throwing more fuel onto this election chaos fire, Rod Blagojevich, seller of the Obama Senate seat when he was elected president, came out and said that election stealing is a time-honored Democrat tradition. Yet we're just supposed to accept what our media overlords have declared today in a projected Biden win. Yeah, right. Prove it's legitimate without a shadow of a doubt, and I'll accept it. There's still too many unanswered irregularities yet for that to happen for me. Now to end on a lighter note. The House Democrat infighting has begun, and it'll be glorious to watch. Pelosi is going to have a full-out revolt on her hands, if she gets, even if she gets to remain Speaker of the House. Seems as though the identity politics and open claims to Black and Hispanic voters has backfired spectacularly, as they have swung in droves to the Republicans, swinging several House seats, and it also seems that socialism and defunding the police aren't winning strategies either. Stephanie Murphy of Florida was particularly upset, saying that Dems need to push, they are not supportive of these ideas. Well, Stephanie, maybe don't act like a sheep and follow along. Nobody said you couldn't speak up against those things if you thought they were losing ideas. In this instance, it might benefit you from taking a page out of the Republican book and stand against that, 
Republicans stand against each other all the time. It's sometimes one of the most frustrating things because they don't circle the wagons real well. Another interesting observation from uh, House Democrats came from Alison Spangberger and Jim Clyburn. Spanberger, who almost lost her seat, said we need to never use the word socialist or socialism ever again. Clyburn noted that if we are going to run on Medicare for all, defund the police, socialized medicine, we're not going to win. Well, now you're getting it, Jim. Americans don't want that crap. We want to keep our hard-earned money. Do with it as we see fit. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm all for helping the less fortunate. But it needs to be a hand up, not a hand out. The government needs to get out of the Robin Hood game. And then, of course, we've got AOC, who got her two brain cells firing, taking offense to progressivism, a.k.a. socialism, being the root cause of the issue in terms of the route of Democrat seats in the House. She looked at the losers and blamed it on a lack of execution in digital campaigns. Uh, no, AOC, we don't want any of that crap here, plain and simple. Not even the modern Democrats want it. Typical to AOC fashion, she's pointing fingers when the real problem here is the ideology. Point one finger, finger and blame, three point back at you. Time for a reality check, AOC. Nancy not putting her and the rest of the squad in their place has cost them 10 seats this time around and set things up to swing the House in 2022, along with more Senate seats. Grab your popcorn, folks. This is going to be an interesting ride. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, I'd appreciate it if you shared it with your friends and family, as well as subscribe to my podcast. I also appreciate feedback and dialogue. Uh, you can email me at livingwithliberty at usa.com. Uh, follow me at my social media home on Parlor. Uh, my handle's at Living with Liberty. Liberty isn't a given. We must continue to fight and protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.